The Juice on the Cues podcast on the Big Heads Media Network is presented by MyBookie.ag. At MyBookie, it's time to celebrate the college football season. Sign up now and make your first deposit to get a dollar-for-dollar match all the way up to $1,000. The best part is MyBookie has thousands of bets to choose from, from the full NFL slate to college football to the NBA playoffs. From live betting to championship futures, every play you want is waiting at MyBookie. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Use promo code JUICEONCUSE and double your first deposit now. Again, that's promo code JUICEONCUSE. It's a no-brainer. Your winning season begins today only at mybookie.ag. It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about the start of the 2020 football season and saying a melancholy goodbye to a Syracuse basketball rival. I'm Wes Jang, and I'll be joined later by Andrew Cowie and our guest today, Syracuse.com, Stephen Bailey. Stephen, how are you today? Uh, I'm doing great, Wes. I always appreciate you having me on. Yeah, and we appreciate having you on, Stephen, and I want to get you started on this one. This football season is going to be unlike any we've ever seen, and that's because the ACC has decided to play through a pandemic. So, do you think we'll see an entire season of football? It's a great question. I, I don't know if anyone can can really answer it. Um, and I go back and forth. You know, there's there's a while I didn't think the season would start, and then I did, and then I didn't, and I did again. Uh, so right <laughs> now, I, I have I have a hard time looking past like tomorrow. Um, but I am pretty confident the season's going to start, uh, and I don't know how far it's going to go. You know, it's the hard part about it is it only takes a few links on the chain to to blow this thing up. Like you can reschedule a few games, but you know, if there's a couple of teams that decide, hey, you know, we don't want to play anymore for whatever reason, or um, you know, enough outbreaks where there's just like personnel limitations due to contact tracing. Uh, there's definitely a scenario in which I see this season not finishing. I, I guess I would I would put it up at a coin toss right now that you know a significant number of teams finish the season, but it's just so freaking hard to tell. I mean, it changes all the time. If you don't know what we're going to learn, um, you know about the pandemic. You know, rap, rapid testing could increase the chances of a finished season, but uh, you know, new medical findings that that bring about increased risk of. Uh, of contracting coronavirus could could turn it the other way, you know, and uh, it's it's just hard to say, you know. I'd say right now about fifty fifty. Uh, you know, a week ago I wasn't even sure they were going to start the season, and I feel pretty good about that. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see is a great way to look at it. But let's talk about the actual football season now. You had a chance to chat with Michael Jones, Eric Coley, and Aaron Hackett on Wednesday. Let's start with the defense. How are Jones and Coley doing in the new three-three-five scheme under defensive coordinator Tony White? Well, they're said they're doing well. Um, I, I've every practice has been closed, and we only saw them briefly in the spring in, in shorts. So um, I haven't seen any real football, and that makes it hard for me to actually assess how well this is going. We haven't gotten any one-on-one, so it's really hard to get depth on any of these subjects. It's kind of a virtual press conference in which you get one question. So it's been really difficult to kind of, you know, ascertain information that that kind of provides backing to to the things that are being said. But 
the defensive players have, have all pointed to uh, a, a, a freedom that they have in this system. Now, Brian Ward, the former defensive coordinator, his, his system and his methodology was nuanced and specific, and, and oftentimes, you know, before the snap, a linebacker would be looking at a few different things and have five or six different options, and it would just be a lot to take in. And when you have a lot of people choosing between a lot of things, it's easy to get missed assignments. And I, I think that came up last year. Um, so I think on, on, the, on the flip side, I, I think there are fewer pre-snap decisions being made. Um, that, that doesn't mean there's there's not some complexity here. The goal of the three-three-five is to confuse opposing coordinators and quarterbacks, apply pressure, and, and, and force big plays. So um, there's there's a middle ground there. But the, the players have also they can play freely. They're being told to play fast, 100% speed all the time. Um, the goal is to have guys flying around. And I guess in theory, if you make mistakes, people will be moving quickly enough to <laughs> to compensate for them. Um, I'm really interested to see what it looks like. I think uh, there are a lot of good pieces in place. I think the defensive line and the secondary are, are both, frankly, strong units, and they fit what Tony White wants to do in this 3-3-5. You know, we've got to see about the linebackers, and Michael Jones is going to be one of the guys there. But uh, it's, there's, there's definitely some confidence building. Uh, I just I, – I've got to see it to believe it. And, you know, North Carolina and, and Sam Howell as quarterback there, that's a, that's a tough first challenge. And then even Pittsburgh with a veteran offensive line and, and a game manager and Kenny Pickett too. You know, those are going to be tougher quarterbacks to rattle. So they've got a couple of, couple of pretty good tests early on this year. Steven, let's talk about the offense. Aaron Hackett was also in that press conference and you talked to him. I'm interested to hear your take on how Hackett will be using Sterling Gilbert's offense and how the offensive line, which really struggled last year, is coming along. Yeah, all good questions. Um, I, mean, I think utilizing Hackett more frequently and, and, and find, just finding ways to get him involved is, it's got to happen. You know, I mean, the guy is really, really subtle as a route runner. I mean, he's great for for the RPO type stuff, you know, it's, 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 you know, when he sets up to block and then goes out on a route, it looks the same as when he's blocking. You know, he's very subtle, very nuanced. Um, he's got great hands, you know, maybe the best hands of a, of a, of a pass catcher on the team. Um, and he spent the offseason training in the Fort Lauderdale area uh, with Anquan Bolden, um, among others. I, I, I don't have the name of the, uh, the, the performance facility in front of me, but – he spent a lot of time working on body positioning um, and footwork. And the idea is, you know, he'll be going up against safeties a lot, you know, even in, in great shape, which he believes he's in. It's not like he's just going to blow by a lot of those defensive backs. So it's about positioning and, and footwork and, um, and putting him, you know, manufacturing leverage and manufacturing separation as a route runner. So, you know, I think he, he had an injury, but I think he feels like he's positioned himself to be more of a threat this year. And, um, you know, we haven't gotten to talk to Sterling Gilbert, but I, I, I believe that he's going to be a bigger part. He said a few more wrinkles were installed for him and Luke Benson, who is someone who can run past the safety, frankly. Um, so finding those ways to get involved is, those, those guys' ways to get involved is important. On the flip side of that, you mentioned the offensive line. Well, the offensive line is going to be a problem again, and usually the first thing you do when you have a problematic offensive line is keep more guys in the block. <laughs> So there's a balance there in, in how frequently can you send your tight ends out and how often you have to keep them in. I, I, I think we'll see a lot of 12 personnel 
where you can keep one of those guys in and send the other one out. And if you have enough variation, what you can do, you know, you can maybe keep the defense off balance a little bit. Um, you know, we'll see. Looking at the offensive line specifically, I, I think Aaron Silvis is an absolute anchor at left tackle. and They love him there. As long as he can stay healthy, he should be very good. He's put on some weight. Um, we always had the foot speed to play out there. And, uh, you know, Matthew Bergeron now, as a sophomore at right tackle, has, has come along quite a bit. I've heard a lot of good things about his camp performance. Uh, Carlos Villarreal at center is the third guy who's kind of clearly locked in there. Um, he had some smoothing issues, and he moved from tackle to center late last year. So, you know, potentially, you know, with some consistent work at the same position, that'll get cleaned up. Uh, but the question's really a guard. Um, Dakota Davis was rehabbing an injury in the spring. Uh, we haven't seen any photos or videos of him working out. And Chris Bleich, the Florida transfer, who's still waiting to hear on, on his immediate eligibility waiver for the NCAA, was also rehabbing an injury, went, underwent off-season surgery, hasn't been pictured working out. So, you know, Dino, Dino basically said they're waiting on some guys to get back in the season. And reading between the lines, it seems like Dakota and, and Chris Bleich are two candidates there. Um, if they're not available, I think we'd be looking at probably Pat Davis and Darius Tisdale starting. Um, and then, you know, they're older guys, but, um, you know, not as experienced. And then there's, there's a reason why they, you know, they have kind of been backups uh, in the past. So there's, there's some issues there. And, um, you know, I think from a depth perspective, there's a, there's a huge issue. You know, Chris Elmore has been practicing at guard. I saw Joe Rondi was practicing at guard, a, a retro freshman defensive tackle. So, you know, we don't know exactly who is and isn't unavailable in that offensive line room, but the, the sense, you know, I got from talking to Dino is they're thin. And, you know, a, a couple injuries early in the year really could be devastating, especially, you know, after what happened last year. I mean, you know, Tommy DeVito was the most sacked quarterback in the Power Five. That's a lot to work through physically and mentally. And, you know, if he starts taking a physical toll early this year, you just, you know, you, you wonder what, you know, what effect that will have, um, you know, even if they can get some of it cleaned up later in the year. You mentioned the start at North Carolina, so let's talk about the season. The schedule makers didn't do Syracuse any favors, adding North Carolina and Notre Dame on the road, and then two road games, including at Pitt, to start the season. Do you see Syracuse finishing with a winning record in a bowl game, or do you see them falling back into that 4-5 or five win category? Well, I do see Syracuse as a candidate to make a bowl game, but there are currently, I believe, more bowl games than FBS teams planning to play, so... In a sense, everyone's a candidate to make a bowl this year. I, I think an above 500 record for Syracuse this year would be a real success. Um, I, I mean, I think in one sense, you can say whatever happens this year, it, it's hard to credit or – I don't even want to take credit for anything this year, but it's hard to blame, you know, coaching staff who, who have players opt out or, you know, your depth gets exposed from increased injuries or – um, you know, limits personnel limitations due to contact tracing. I mean, it, you know, and on the flip side of that, you know, teams are going to try and take credit. Well, you know, if you go nine and two against a bunch of third teamers all year, you know, circumstance just kind of bounced your way, and, and that's part of any sport. But this year, more than more than ever. So, um, you know, assuming that everyone, you know, if everyone has similar personnel limitations, and, and I think everyone's going to have some. You know, we know Syracuse has some. And I suspect other schools are dealing with it as well. But, yeah, I think an above 500 mark would be really impressive. You know, in our official predictions, I penciled them in at five and six. I think if this was a 
you know, an 11 game year without, you know, if this was the schedule and, and it was a normal year without contact tracing and, and the, the pandemic and all that, I would probably pick them to go four and seven just because, like you said, that schedule is really tough. I mean, they finish a Notre Dame too. Um, I mean, you know, those first couple of weeks are rough. There's not really a cupcake game on the schedule. You know, there's no FCS game. Um, you know, even opening against BC, and, and that was going to be Jeff Halfley's debut as a head coach. You know, that was a, a decent way to open your season compared to going to North Carolina um, with your new defense against a very good quarterback. So, yeah, you know, I, I think I, yeah, I probably would have had him at, at four and seven, but you just don't know what's going on in other schools. I mean, you, you kind of do. You know the worst things that are going on, you know, when, when schools have to take pauses from preseason camp and, you know, guys suffer serious injuries that are announced. But I, I expect that there are serious personnel issues going on at just about every school, and that makes me lean more toward that, you know, I know the worst of what's going on in Syracuse. I don't know the worst of what's going on everywhere else. So I said five and six. I can easily see four and seven. I can, you know, if the offensive line doesn't pan out, yeah, three and eight is is not hard to envision. But, you know, if you can, your offensive line can hold up and, and total reinforcements arrive. If those other teams do have some serious issues, you know, who, who's to say Syracuse couldn't, couldn't find a way to go six and five or, or even seven and four? And Stephen, we'll get you out of here on this one. Syracuse landing commitments in the 2021 class from defensive lineman Jadis Gear, Jalen Moss, Terry Lockett, and Elijah Fuentes. What do you think about their remade defensive line? Yeah, I mean, from a recruiting perspective, I think um, I think it's very good. You know, Jalen Moss is, is one of the guys that jumped out to me. He's Chandler Jones' cousin, so obviously Art and John Bunk Jones' cousin as well. Uh, big guy, extremely athletic, and, and comes from an under-recruited area in Rochester. That's kind of been a theme here. You know, Terry Lockett, the other bigger guy in that group um, from Massachusetts. So it's, it's – I think they're really happy with the defensive line that they've picked up this class. And I think if you look at the current roster now, I think it's in a very good place. Now you're playing a 3-3-5. You're, you only need, you know, three guys on the field at a time. So your depth isn't stretched quite as thin. As we've seen in recent years, Dino Babers likes to say, oh, Kendall Coleman came in and won a starting job as a true freshman. Uh, and credit to Kendall, but there was no one to compete with, <laughs> you know? So they <laughs> kind of found themselves in these situations where they, they had to build up depth, and they have. And, and now, you know, frankly, because you only put them three on the field, you don't need it so much anymore. And I think they've got some good veterans this year, and, and McKinley Williams, Josh Black, and Kingsley Jonathan, who, who are – have the potential to be one of the ACC's better units. I've heard some really good things about them in preseason camp. I think Kingsley is going to surprise some people just because I think most fans know what Josh and McKinley can bring when they're healthy. Uh, Kingsley's in very good shape. And I, I think, again, like Josh Black is a good fit as a, as a, a 3-3-5 defensive end, so is, so is Kingsley. He's, he's big for a 4-3 guy, but not big enough to go inside. Uh, they both have some enough speed uh, to, to – to cause offensive lines to think a little bit in there. But you look down the line, there are some good younger prospects as well. Uh, Drew Kuzama is one who's jumped out to me. I've heard a lot of good things about. Uh, Caleb Okachukwu is expected to play this year. He hasn't seen the field the last two years. He missed last year with an unspecified illness. Um, So I think the goal is to kind of create a situation in, in, in which you have continued flow and you have 
you're going to have those veterans who are going to be able to play. You're going to be able to rely on. You're going to have underclassmen, and then those recruits coming in will, will fill their positions as promising guys who maybe are reserves and are getting ready to be full-time guys. And you, you can keep reloading there. Um, it's hard to bring in game-ready defensive linemen. Um, so that's part of the reason why, to me, the three-three-five makes sense. You don't need as many of them. It's a lot easier to find a guy who's who's ready to play corner or, or safety, um, physically ready to play those positions uh, as a true freshman or as a redshirt freshman. It's it's tough to find defensive linemen who can really go in there and hang against the ACC's best uh, without a couple years in the strength and conditioning program. Stephen, thanks so much for coming back on the program again. Syracuse.com, Stephen Bailey doing a great job of covering the Syracuse football beat. Stephen, stay safe. Hopefully we'll get to see a full football season. We'll speak with you soon. Yeah, anytime, Wes. Always a pleasure. All the best to you and yours. Always great to speak with Stephen Bailey. And I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online Senior College Basketball Analyst and 2003 National Champion, Andrew Cowie. Andrew, how are you today? Everything's great, man. How about yourself? Andrew, doing well, and I wanted to talk to you about the passing of longtime Georgetown coach John Thompson Jr. on Sunday, who died at the age of 78. He obviously wasn't a Syracuse guy, but being the head coach of Syracuse's biggest rival during the birth of the Big East, he had a clear impact on the SU program, especially as Jim Beheim's top adversary. I wanted to get your take as a player on the basketball team of some of the memories you had of the Syracuse-Georgetown games, even though Thompson was gone by then. Yeah, no, it's definitely, um, you know, sad to hear about his passing. But as you could tell, you know, the day that his death was announced, you you saw Beheim, uh, you know, a lot on ESPN and, and various radio shows just because it showed you kind of how important that rivalry was. And even Beheim talked about how, you know, for a good 10-year span, it was probably the number one rivalry, even bigger than Duke, North Carolina. But my time there... You know, I had just came to Syracuse in 2000, so it was right after John Thompson re- kind of abruptly retired. Um, so I was in, in that kind of four-year stretch between both Thompsons with the Craig Escher um, time frame. But, but co- Coach was always there at the games, kind of just, you know, watching, and, and you know, his presence was felt. Um, but, you know, that was our big rival, no doubt. Um, you know, we there was an excitement for each game, both in uh, D.C. and at home. And you just, it was a special air. Um, I think, you know, probably one of the more memorable games, you know, that I remember against that is that when um, they were naming the court after Coach Beheim, calling the Jim Beheim court, you know, they did it against Georgetown. Um, I think that was for a reason. Unfortunately, you know, we lost that game. I think going into it, we were we felt pretty good that we were the better team, and that's probably one of the reasons they wanted to figure that we'd get the win on Jim, uh, Jim Beheim court day. But, you know, we lost that game, and, and I can tell you that Beheim wasn't the happiest person in the locker room after the game um, because of how, <laughs> important, how important that game meant. Not even so much it was because it was his day in terms of naming the court, but it was Georgetown, and he, he didn't like to lose, and in some of the really times that I would see Beheim at his not angry or just he's just he's so competitive and just just hated losing, but you could sense it when a couple of times when we lost to Georgetown, um, it, it, it pained him. 
Yeah, and if you take a step back from it, I think Jim Beheim got a lot out of that heated rivalry in a good way because the beginning of that rivalry catapulted Jim Beheim and the Big East into the national conversation. Georgetown Syracuse was the ticket in college basketball for a long stretch of time, even more so than Duke UNC, as you had mentioned. And I think it says a lot that Jim Beheim went on all those shows and said what such wonderful things about his once bitter rival. Absolutely. I mean, I think we know you know, that rivalry had its, you know, heyday, you know, before my time, but it was still such a big rivalry just throughout the years. Even if, even if neither team was a top five team, it was such a strong rivalry because of just some of the iconic moments, you know, we all know about, you know, the Manly Fieldhouse is officially closed. Well, you know, that was 20 years, you know, before I got there, but we practiced in Manly Fieldhouse. So we, that we knew about that scene and, and that, and what happened. We knew about, you know, you, you can watch on YouTube. We knew about some of the battles with Pearl and Ewing. And and then just there's this oh, so many iconic moments. You know, when when I was there, Jerry hits the half-court shot to win the game, the turnaround half-court shot pretty much to win the game in D.C. Um, you know, Mello had one of his better, to me, one of his better games against Georgetown um, in Georgetown. So everyone kind of stepped up their game, and there was just a special feeling against, oh, this is Georgetown. And given that just iconic moments throughout the history of Syracuse happened with Georgetown, um, it's just why the the rivalry was was so special. And and we, we you know we recruited a lot of players out of D.C. Baltimore area. So we're, you know you were going in there and kind of going their their own stomping ground to get um, such a kind of great uh, talent, high school talent there. So there's so many things on the court, off the court, and. Um, you know, to this day, whenever I meet someone who went to Georgetown, there's always a joking, you know, oh, you went to Georgetown, I got to leave. I can't talk to you anymore. But it's done in a, in a jokey manner. But uh, that rivalry is still there, both uh, just between schools. And Andrew, we are right at the end of our show, your closing thoughts. Uh, my closing thoughts is I think it's it's with the NBA back. It's been great to, unfortunately, the Blazers are, are no longer playing, but it was great to watch Melo and kind of see him enjoy the game of basketball again. I think every Syracuse fan um, loved to see that, given, you know, he's obviously one of one of our great players that, that's played there. So just to see him uh, have that joy uh, back and playing. And then, you know, having Jeremiah Grant, Grant in there um, playing in the playoffs is great to see uh, Syracuse representation. So uh, it's nice to turn on some NBA playoffs and, and see some Syracuse guys. Andrew, my closing thoughts are on Chaz Owens, the son of Billy Owens, who announced this week he was joining the Syracuse basketball roster. We all know Billy Owens, a two-time All-American at Syracuse, who played 10 seasons in the NBA. His son will join the team using up the remaining scholarship. He's mostly recruited by Division II teams, so he's not expected to be an impact player. But it's pretty cool seeing some of these generational players now having played for Bayheim. Of course, Bayheim coaches his son, Buddy. There's Leo and Andy Rounds. Adrian Autry and his son, Adrian Autry Jr., the walk-on, and now Owens. Very cool to see Chaz on the team. Congratulations to him. That's it for us. For Andrew Cowie, this is Wes Chang reminding you that I've been thinking a lot lately about how incense is just air seasoning. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cuse podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.